back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is Zeke Buckholtz, a comedian in Mobile, Alabama. I had a blast talking with Zeke. He started doing stand-up back in 2012 and worked in D.C. and Philly before going back home to Alabama and getting involved in the Mobile scene. Now he's booking shows at the Alabama Music Box and is one of the founders of the Mobile Comedy Festival, which begins its second turn on Sunday, August 8th and runs through August 14th. Todd Berry, you might have heard of him, he's going to be there on August 10th. You're going to love Zeke Buckholz, I promise you. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to the podcast. If you like what you hear, sign up for the Patreon. It's just five bucks a month. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Peeling back my sunburnt skin I'll wait outside your bedroom I, I hope they let me in Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. What did I tear you away from? Oh, nothing. Uh, I was watching Doug with my son, but Doug can babysit for a minute. <laughs> okay, hold on. Like, Is it the Disney Plus one? No, it's on. Well, I got Nick hits, so it's the it's the it's the original Doug. I swear to God, I didn't plan this. Two days ago, I was like, I finished watching Dinosaurs, and yeah. I, I'm like a big. I'm 38. I am like a. I'm just trying to hold on to my youth. Yeah. And so I finished Dinosaurs. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna watch Doug, and it's on Disney Plus. And I started it. It's like the new one. Like you know, Ugh, whatever was they've the new so one. Many, they've done so many new ones, and they keep changing the animation on all these things, like Ed, Ed, and Eddie, and. SpongeBob and all those kind of new things, like Camp Coral or whatever it is, the new SpongeBob it looks terrible. It's on, I've it's never, on Paramount Plus, I think. I've never seen an episode of SpongeBob. What? I know, and I've I've been <laughs> yelled at on this podcast saying it is like the best it's cartoon so good, ever. Dude, there's like some great jokes in there. There's like it's like yeah, no, it's good writing. It's funny because like obviously the voice of SpongeBob, uh, forget I just blanked on his name, Tom Kenny. Tom Kenny, yeah. yeah. So he's from like Syracuse, New York. So oh, right. it's like, which is like an hour plus away. And I work with Paul Kozlowski, who is like one of Tom Kenny's best friends like, oh, from the okay. area. The funny thing is like, I know that Tom Kenny was, he was, I think his wife as well, were in the Smashing Pumpkins Tonight Tonight video. What? That's awesome. Do you remember that Tom one? Kenny's done a lot of stuff. Yeah. I used to watch that video all the time. And then, I don't know, maybe a year ago, uh, I, I've had a little bit of time to get into my head a little bit and, yeah. but I researched and I'm like, no shit. That's actually a guy who's a billionaire. <laughs> like yeah. it looks, it looked like he just walked on and like, Oh, okay. Well, yeah, you, you're an extra. Come on. You can, you can have the star and roll. And then <laughs> yeah, he's a yeah. billionaire. Yeah. Yeah. He's done so much. Yeah. He's in everything. Yeah. I got to go watch. So I got what, what's it? Nick, Nick hits. Yeah. Doug? So it's an extra thing on Amazon. Uh, you can, it's like, you can do it for a month. I think it's like $4 a month and then just quit after that. Because it's got all the classics. It's got like Keenan and Kel, uh, Dugs on it, Ah, Real Monsters, like Angry Beavers, all the all the good ones from back in the day. Yeah, there's a guy yeah. who's uh, a producer on The Simpsons, Michael Price. Mm-hmm. And one of his first credits is Ah, Real Monsters. That's a great show. Yeah, I don't remember so much of it. Like, I watched Doug and Rocco's Modern Life. Yeah, and that's that was too. that was probably it for me. And yeah. I, I remember a little bit of Our Real Monsters, but it didn't I hit for me. I actually didn't watch it until I was an adult. I, I I didn't watch it as a kid. I got like a, I bought my wife like a DVD that had just like random, because I love, I mean, I watched Hey Arnold and Cat Dog and those were on there. And and Rocco's Modern, God, I keep saying, is it World or Life? It's Life. World, right? Life. Life. Okay. All right. It was a secret world of Alex Mack and then Rocco's Modern Life. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, okay. 
But yeah, our real monsters and angry beavers were on there. And I never watched them until then. And it's great. Fairly odd parents is on the Nick hits too. And that's, that's another, uh, that's a classic for me. I remember watching that. I think we watched a clip of it or something. Maybe I watched it in college. And then I was talking about it in one of our courses where I think I watched Fairly Odd Parents and I was talking about it, how like there's no, I mean, it's no reason kids have ADD issues. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, the 15 minutes I saw it, it was just bouncing back and forth. I'm like, how do you pay attention to this? It's crazy. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it's kind of what, I guess what they wanted at that point. Yeah. There's so many jokes slammed into it though, too. So I think that's probably where, I mean, the difference between, uh, like the older ones, like Doug is actually like storylines and like keeps going on like an actual kind of thing. But Fairy Odd Parents is just a bunch of jokes smacked together. And I think that's just kind of what the, that's what kids wanted at that point. So I guess the more research people do on kids, the more it's just like flashing lights at your face. Because like yeah. the ones now that are out for my son who's three are just like literally just like go, go, go. But his favorite is just like people that do YouTube and play with toys from his other favorite shows. Like he loves dinosaurs. He knows all the dinosaurs. So he just like watches grown men play with dinosaurs they get paid. It's such a crazy thing that they get paid for that too. That's like a, that's like an actual, it's like an actual job. Just this dude moving around dinosaurs, putting it on YouTube. It's so crazy that that's what kids like. I, I remember my mom's a kindergarten teacher and she had me bring in my toys to her class. And then I had to watch kids play with my toys. That was like, that's traumatic, a, dude. Yeah, it was like a violation of the Eighth Amendment. Like, it wasn't yeah, cool. Right. And I couldn't imagine, like, flipping on YouTube and saying, you know what? For the next 15 minutes, I'm going to watch somebody play with the toy I want. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. There was one dude that uh, I think it's called, like, the Axel Show. So this guy and his son started doing it. And it's been going on for years. And his son started getting a little older. So, and they, he was, he's probably, this son's, like, probably seven or eight now. And uh, they just had a baby. And I'm pretty sure that was a business move. Must have been a business <laughs> move. <laughs> I think about that, too. Like, I, I don't have any kids i've got three cats and i will do cat stuff on stage like cat not like i won't like purr around and scratch (laughs) a post but i'll do cat material and i wonder like like if i get enough writer's block will i just have a kid (laughs) just to talk about it (laughs) yeah why not yeah i mean i don't ever talk about my son on stage i do more like one-liners and jokey jokes and just kind of like stream of consciousness stuff so people always be like do you get people always be like what a weird way to Like, how much do you talk about your son? You must get so much material from your wife and your kid. And, like, I literally have not once talked. I have, like, like something kind of dark that I've said about it, but that's it. Like, I never, like, any, no real-life scenarios. But So it hasn't really changed the comedy? No, not at all. How long have you been doing stand-up? Um, so I technically started nine years ago, give or take. And I moved to D.C. for a little while to, like, follow my dreams. I didn't realize how expensive D.C. was, so I had to wind <laughs> up working, like, six days a week, and I barely got to do comedy. Um, but I did, I did, I did do comedy as much as I could probably like, I don't know, once a week and I was in an improv troupe up there. And then I kind of, I went with my friend to Philly. I was supposed to move with my friend to Philly and I went there for a couple weeks and then, uh, he got something happened with him and he had to move back home. So I wound up staying home for a little while and then kind of didn't do comedy for about a year and a half or so, and then got back into it. So I'd say technically like seven years, but I started nine years ago. Like I've been um, actually like doing it for seven years. Did you miss it? I mean, during the year and a half you were out? I mean, I didn't know it. I feel like I didn't know it well enough to to miss it, really. I mean, I still, like, thought in that comedian brain. Like, I always thought about bits and that kind of thing. But also, I'm a musician, so I was playing a lot of music at that point, too. And I didn't know that there was a comedy scene in Mobile at all. And there was a small one, and I finally found out about it. And I was underage, too, when I moved back. So I wasn't allowed in a lot of places in Alabama. Like, they won't let you in a bunch of places if you're underage, especially back then, uh, to even to do comedy. I, I let people in now. And then... 
I kind of moved around a little bit. I wanted to keep moving away, but my friend Ryan Jedden, who was running the scene at that point, was like, what about if you help here? And I was like, oh, all right, fine, I'll try it for a minute. And then wound up uh, getting my wife pregnant, getting my girlfriend pregnant at the time, and then getting married. So now, now I'm here. Like Now I'm kind of stuck here. And my music stuff is kind of doing good. Me and my friends are making a lot of music, so kind of here now. So, I mean, so might as well make the bo- most out of it. Started the Mobile Comedy Festival. Uh, this will be the second year for it. We skipped last year. We did the year before. It was It was a good successful and i've just been booking bigger and bigger shows and kind of keeping it rolling because the guy who was running it a few years ago he quit like three years ago so it's up is to that, me now is that the music box uh no so uh it was just it used to be the blind mule more than anything he he just would book shows like the only guy that booked any kind of shows in mobile kind of quit booking them and he kind of like grandfathered me into it he's like all right it's it's your time now and i was like ah oh, shit <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's kind of gone through things and and uh Blind Mule's not open back up in their in their venue space, so I kind of started working with the Music Box after the pandemic, after the shutdown, and and I've been and and they actually they're uh, more willing to throw a little money at it, and they're helpful, and they know more. The owners of that know more about the booking side of it than the other guy at Music at Blind Mule did, so it's kind of turned out to be a better option, anyways. We just have to make sure we build our crowd back up because Blind Mule's open mic crowd was phenomenal. We would have at least like twenty five comedians a night, and and like 30 to 50 people in the crowd each open mic, which is great for open mics. That's especially insane. here. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I just, I just did an open mic last night and we had five comedians and four audience members. Oh, I'm sorry. It was five and five. I don't want to short. Five and five. Yeah. Well, yeah. Now that we've changed it to, to music box, it's kind of been hit or miss. The last one we had somebody new was trying like some teacher. Every time a teacher tries comedy the first time comes out in droves. Yeah. And that was last week. But the week before it was probably like eight comedians and maybe like four people in the crowd. So yeah, it's, it's back and forth. And it's the only one in town, too. So, like, if it's not doing good, then, <laughs> then that's it. <laughs> Have you felt, like, the impact of being, like, the guy to book the shows? Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, no, it definitely, I mean, it definitely, I get frustrated for sure because my friends don't help as much as I think that they should. Yeah. But uh, also can't get mad at them. Like, before I was booking stuff, I was like, yeah, fuck you. It's not my show. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I understand it. But it definitely does get aggravating. That's the only thing. But it, yeah, it does kind of feel like a whole, my friend Compton Smith helps, uh, he books one in another piano parlor and he's got like a, but he's not exclusively Mobile. He just put together a run between Mobile, Pensacola, Biloxi, Mississippi, and uh, somewhere right outside of Pensacola, Crestview, I think it is. So he's finally like, that's what he's paying attention to. And he has one show a month in Mobile. So the rest of it's up to me. Uh, yeah. I book like before the pandemic, I booked 14 rooms and Jesus. Uh, yeah, and I've got seven now. I'm trying to build back. Yeah, and I'm not the only one booking in town, but I'm basically we got a small startup club that's trying to find its legs again. Yeah, and then in the Binghamton scene, there's me, and there's maybe sporadic shows, but I'm the one guy who can get gigs to. I mean, probably a 150 mile radius, like comedians all in there. So yeah. I book a lot of people. So I will get inundated with like as soon as I did the first show post pandemic. Uh, I got like four people saying, Hey, uh, remember me for the next one. And I'm like, like, I was this close to being like, yeah, you know what? I'm only booking people who said hi to me during the pandemic. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, like now I know what you really want. I don't know about you, but I feel obligated to give spots to people and like, okay, well I'll go and I'll look at what you're doing. I'll look at your open mics. Uh, I'll travel yes. around and just cause I don't want to leave anybody out. And I want, I feel like if I can book somebody on a show, I might prolong their comedy career. Like, yeah, right. Like, because they'll get frustrated by not getting booked and then they quit. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I don't want that to happen. 
my favorite thing, people would come out uh, a good bit. We've had a bunch of new people. It, it, it's funny. You can tell kind of the difference between somebody that's actually going to like maintain or like stay in the scene and like actually help and be and care about it. And then there's a bunch of people way more than the, than the former that are uh, straight up come out and they're like, so uh, when do I start getting paid for this? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> this is your first night. Are you kidding? I had one guy who, uh, who did comedy like three times and he was like, I got my friend. He's going to record my special next week at the open mic. Can I do like an hour? I'm like, no, you certainly cannot. <laughs> so he, he wound up booking his own room for himself to do an hour special. And I don't think I don't think anything ever came of it, but he did get his friend to film it after his like third time doing comedy. Oh, good God. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know. I, I shudder at that because I know one of the first shows I ever did for myself, I think it might have been my first, was uh I headlined. Which I shouldn't have yes. done, but yeah. like that's how it is. Like you, you, you're not good enough to get booked by anybody, so you right. book your yeah. own show. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, wait, like in hindsight, if I could do it over again, I would have hosted that show. Yeah. Like, hey, everybody, thanks for coming out to see me. Also, my five funnier friends. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, but the bartender slash booker, I guess, at the time, he's like, yeah, man, uh, you're good enough. Uh, what you usually do is like you get like a half an hour, forty five minutes, something like that, and then around you know surround yourself with people. I'm like, oh, okay. And yeah. back then I was like, a, I mean, I still kind of am a storyteller, but like I was big into Berbiglia and oh, yeah. I was like, oh, let me do long form, which I yeah. should never have done. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I did an hour, which I'm sure was horrible, but yeah. thankfully, thank God the, I recorded my show and like, not all of it, it would just cut off. And I'm like, yeah. cool, cool. I'll still, all right. Never here. happened. So yeah. I'll, bur- I'll burn the old, posters and and nothing ever happened yeah but yeah i I think that's normal though like i mean maybe not the special but yeah we all have these these grand plans of how we're gonna get famous but i remember hearing jim gaffigan saying that he made like no money his first seven years oh yeah and i always think like if jim gaffigan maybe the richest comedian ever right now cannot make money for seven years then okay nobody else should yeah right I didn't, literally the guy who ran it, he didn't even make money. The guy before me that ran it, he didn't make money. One of the reasons I started bartending for comedy shows is because I wanted to make money. (laughs) (laughs) And I wanted to still do it. So I started bartending for it and started booking for it. And uh, yeah, that was just kind of the way, like I I, I get a little bit, but yeah, it's been over seven years now. And now I'm finally like making a little bit of money. Yeah, I've I've got about five and the money is in the producing. Yeah. I mean, especially locally, like maybe maybe if you're in a city, yeah, you can get spots here and get paid yeah. and go on the road. But for me, like I started, I would say I've, I've been booking for four years, but I really made it my job in 2019. Obviously, great timing because the pandemic came yeah. around. But, <laughs> but like I was like, oh, I got all these rooms. And I, yeah, well, I'm getting a budget and obviously I'm taking some for me. And yeah. like, oh, wow, I can actually pay rent with this. But it's funny because last weekend I did, I produced two shows and then I hosted one for somebody else. Yeah, And I made, I don't know, eight times as much money, more than that, maybe oh, it was yeah. probably, probably close to 15 times as much money producing than I did yeah. for hosting the show. And I'm like, you oh, know yeah, what? Definitely. 100%. That's, and obviously, I, I mean, when I produce the show, I host it as well. So I'm like, well, fuck that. Like, yeah. why, why wait to get booked when I'll just book my own shit, do the same time and have complete control? I, uh, for the Sean Patton show, because I put the money up for the guarantee myself. Oh, and I, my boss was like, Hey man, they're not going. The t- the pre sales aren't going real great. You want to bartend too? So I wound up. I literally bartended, produced, and hosted the show. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you do that? 
Uh, I mean, I just got somewhere to back me up whenever I was like, whenever I had to get on stage and I would just run away and whoever was there, just like, sorry, take a minute. There was probably like 60 or 70, maybe like 60 people in the crowd or maybe 70. So, I mean, and they weren't like drinking heavily. There was a few people that were drinking heavily. So it really wasn't that big of a deal. But Sean Patton did say there's a joke. I have a joke about how uh, uh, Lil John is just Louis Armstrong that decided to start rapping and do like the three, six, nine. And then I'd be like, like a start singing it like, Three, six, nine. Damn, she trying to do like <laughs> And I got off stage, and Sean Patton was like, "Dude, record just that bit, just that one. Put it out on the internet. You're gonna get rich off of that one." I was like, "Dude, all right, <laughs> yeah, thank you." That's fantastic. Yeah, I was like, "So how'd you hook up with Sean?" I mean, obviously you booked him, but like, I mean, why Sean Patton out of everybody? Well, Sean, I mean, he's from New Orleans or from okay. the New Orleans area, so he he does. I think he actually had a uh, the beach down here, Gulf Shores. I think he had a family reunion over there after the show. So he was doing a tour anyways, and uh, he's come to Mobile before, and uh, probably five years ago, he came to the Blind Mule, and the Blind Mule is a much much smaller venue, and he wasn't as big at that point. But really, big reason was my friend uh, J.P. Leonard from Lafayette, he's, he books a great room in Lafayette. He does great. He's a, I don't know if you've looked him up, if you haven't already got Louisiana guy, but he does small town or I mean Lafayette's like semi-small town. It's a college town, but it's it's still small. But he he books phenomenal shows all the time, and he's been kind of siphoning things over to me. And he's friends with Sean Patton too, so that's kind of why he got he also got me set up with Chris Kattan and Todd Barry and Jenny Zagrino too that are coming up soon. So he's just been just killing it. He does a few like he does. He has one uh, venue at a like a beer garden. They have a big outdoor venue there, and then uh, he's got a double tree hotel that he books for as well. So he's just like between those two rooms, he just, he's been getting all kinds of great people like killers. I think he's got Robert Kelly coming up soon. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he had, uh, Brian Posehn recently, uh, before the shutdown. Who's hilarious. I love that guy. Uh, I saw Sarah Silverman in the background. So you must at least know who. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Brian Posehn's great. He, uh, yeah. it's funny because Sarah Silverman too, but like, I'm a big Seinfeld guy. And yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's funny when you go back and watch, Early episodes of Seinfeld. Well, they're all early episodes of Seinfeld now. I mean, they're, yeah. they're all they're all old. But like, yeah. you go back and watch them, you're like, wow, that yeah, I know that. Can, like, Pat Oswalt is yeah. Yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a clerk at a video store. Yeah, and right. Sarah Silverman's got the the Jimmy legs or uh, yeah. So like, and it's hilarious going back and seeing how many people do just because I mean, it's it's that uh, whenever you're really like going for it, I guess everybody kind of if you get your own agent, they're like, all right, we got to start hosting. You got to start uh, acting and stuff too because you got to start making money. You can't just make it off of comedy. That's how you get exposure i suppose like it's the steps it's like what mitch hedberg said uh it's like being a great farmer or yeah no a great a great cook in a restaurant and uh you tell everybody i work so hard on all this food that i've been making it work for years to be a great cook and they're like all right can you farm (laughs) yeah it's not fair man (laughs) yeah i think i think posein was in an episode with kramer and mickey the little guy and I think Posehn had gonorrhea or something like that. And, or, uh, that was the, the thing they needed to act out. And, <laughs> but Posehn was in that scene and he was just perfect because he's just dejected in general. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just kind of his aura. It's just like, it's kind of like, what's that sad dog's name? Uh, Droopy, I think it is. It was, oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I he's thought he's absolutely punk rock and hilarious. Oh yeah, and I—he's—is he punk rock or metal guy? Like he, I think he's a metal guy. Oh, I, see, I put the same. Guys. That's yeah. my bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he is a metal guy. You're right. Yeah. No, I'm a I'm a big punk rock guy, and I just okay. Like, I I never really got into metal, and yeah. I don't I don't know really why. I mean, it's got the the fast 
drums. Like that's what I really want is like the the up tempo yeah. music. But I it's think it's not I, as angsty, I guess. No, it's a little I, more angry and not as angsty. Yeah, and I I always generated like the pop punk too, like like melodic. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Like like I I love ska as well, and I yeah you don't see a whole lot of horns in the metal. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I do. I I've just gotten into ska recently. I've been uh, coaxed into it because I'm a funk guy, like a funk blues kind of soul soul kind of guy. And uh, did you know that ska came before punk? I just learned. Oh that. yeah, yeah. And before reggae, even ska was before. Why well, not? Re- I knew it had reggae roots. I think it's from reggae. I thought. See, I thought it was the other way around. Somebody like convinced me, which I thought was the craziest thing in the world. I can't remember what we looked up, but I guess it doesn't. Yeah, don't quote me on that. No, no, no. But I know it's. I mean, and I might be thinking of like third wave ska, where yeah, it just combined punk and reggae and everything. Because who was it? The Scatolites. Yeah, it came before, and they were like what early sixties, something but, like that. I know the specials are real old, and that yeah. one. I'm not like a historian on it, but I I'm a huge Boston's fan, and less than yeah, Jake, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know Op Ivy, Operation Ivy, uh, gets a lot of credit for that. But I've just been listening to a ton of Sky recently. Yeah, and I, I just know. got into it recently. It's not, yeah, I'm not, I learned how to skank. So, you know, I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, that's like, I think like a lot of people back, oh, how old are you now? You're pretty young. Uh, 27. Yeah, so I'm 38. I think when Sky was big, do you remember the movie Clueless? Yeah, definitely. Boston's were in there, and that was like, oh my God, like, like people actually liked it. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. So you get there, and, and that got a lot more famous than Real Big Fish came out with oh, yeah. uh, like basketball had had beer in there and yeah. <laughs> uh, and sell out i believe so it was just huge for i don't know six or seven years yeah i don't remember the name of the movie but there's a documentary that came out recently about ska and uh it's on amazon my buddy steve showed it to me oh you know i think i saw a commercial for that recently it's really good and if you're getting like into ska yeah if you're getting into ska just look on Amazon for Sky Documentary and you'll find yeah. it. And it basically had everybody, bands like Hepcat, uh, which, by the way, Hepcat, do you, do you ever watch Boy Meets World? Yeah. Do you know, I forget what his name is, uh, but Turner, the teacher, his yeah. friend, Eli, his name's Eli, his black friend. Uh, yeah. He's in a band called Hepcat. It's a real good Sky band. And, Word. Yeah, we're watching this documentary <laughs> And he comes up and I'm like, why do I know him? And I'm like, you know, and I don't want to be the racist guy. Like the, the I'm like, you know, he kind of looks like somebody I know on Boy Meets World. Like they don't all look like, but this guy looked exactly like him because he is exactly him. Yeah. And I was like, no shit. There's, there's a Scott connection to Boy Meets World. It's amazing. Yeah, dude, Boy Meets World kind of feels like Scott anyways. Like just yeah. that whole show gives me Scott vibes. So that works perfectly. Oh, I, I don't know. I argued myself a whole lot about what my favorite all-time show is. And I go back to Boy Meets World because I think you can make the case that they've got the best TV parents on there with Amy Allen. Yeah. Corey, Eric's great brother. Uh, I, I'm partial to the original Morgan, but you've got a great best friend in Sean and then the best yeah. TV principal. I mean, it's Belding and Feeney. And I think Feeney's got him. See, I don't, I would never put them in the top. I mean, I enjoyed it, but I put it in the same category as like home improvement. I think, uh, well, Home Improvement, I think, is the last great sitcom where you can watch with your family. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was a great one. And then what was after that? Like Lopez, the Lopez show? Yeah, Lopez. George Lopez show was a little after yeah. that. Uh, and yeah, then so it kind of went a different, I mean, there's still, there's still sitcoms now. Like, uh, like Raising Hope is one you can watch with your family. Uh, oh, really? That's really great. I don't know if you've ever watched that one. It's good. Uh, I'm pretty sure I went to, no, no, I'm sorry. That was Hope and Faith. I went to mm. a live taping of Hope and Faith. Oh yeah, no. no. Yeah. This one was it's set in the south. I think it was on 
I was just going to guess CBS, but that's probably not right. But it, it, it ended probably about five years ago. But yeah, like Modern Family and stuff, it's funny, but it's definitely not like a great American sitcom. I would never say. And those are the kind of more modern, modernized ones. Yeah, I just remember, yeah, it's funny, uh, Father's Day just came up and I posted a joke. I was like, yeah, uh, thank you for raising me or whatever, doing building everything we needed in the house. And I just put a photo of Tim Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> and my dad wrote, he goes, thank you. And I called him. I said, you know, that's not about you, right? He goes, <laughs> he goes oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. I'm like, <laughs> like, I would never say something sentimental on Facebook for anybody who means what, anything don't? to me. Yeah, yeah. I was like, like I don't think so, Dad. I no, I just uh, I will always go back to like those '90s shows, like you know, with, with Doug and everything. Yeah, and I, I I've got a sentimental spot, but yeah. Did you? I mean, if you trace back, I mean, do you trace your humor to any show you grew up with? I mean, what kind of formed you? So my dad is real, like quick witted and 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 clever, and makes makes puns all the time. So it definitely stemmed a lot from that. And because that's that is my exact style of humor is like and and, it, and if anybody heckles or anything, it's just like a snapback, like immediate, like this pun got you like what you need. Yeah. And I definitely but me and my dad did watch The Simpsons when we were young, like when my mom would be out of town or away at work or something. He'd be like, come on, let's watch The Simpsons real quick. <laughs> like, yeah, nice. Came on UTV 44, the local channel. And uh, we watched King of the Hill because it came on right after it, too. Yep. And King of the Hill is a, is a yeah, it's a mag daddy of animated TV or just TV in general, because Mike Judge is a killer. So. uh I mean, outside of that, I did not, I've kind of like, my dad was real big into action and superheroes and stuff too. So I watched that back in the day, but I've kind of gravitated towards, I don't even watch anything besides comedy now, especially TV, like if anything, and it takes me forever to get convinced to, like I finally, I just watched Breaking Bad and it was great, but I I never watch stuff like that. I just rewatch just jokey things. Like I, I rewatched The Simpsons a thousand times because that's one of my tops there for sure. Do you have a favorite episode of The Simpsons? I have a favorite season, definitely. The second season is my favorite. Uh, no shit, the second season. Yeah. Wow. Okay. It's so I, sentimental, I think... but so funny at the same time. Like, it yeah. makes you feel all ranges of emotions. And the right, I mean, the writing staff on that was great. I don't know. Like, there's there because I can have a, maybe like a funniest Simpsons episode. It might be the one with Kid Rock, which was hilarious. And then I might have like a best one, like best writing, and that's the one with uh, Lisa's Lisa's substitute teacher. Yeah. That one like just tugs at your heartstrings. That, it's not necessarily like hilarious. Is that Bergstrom? Is that what it is? I, I think so. I think it's, uh, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Bergstrom. The, and, the substitute? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think the Kid Rock episode, I almost think that's like when they went to Louisiana. They did, yeah. And I think that's okay. probably why I like it so much. It's because it's hilarious and so uh, close to me that it's like a lot of stuff. Yeah, I I was a big fan of, and it's cliche or whatever, but like season three and four are so good because like Conan's there. Yeah, and yeah. it was like just a murderer's row. But like, well, I'd I say mean, they're like, probably better. Three and four are definitely better, but two is more is more of a favorite for me. I think because it, it was kind of like you can still see them getting their legs. Yeah, and uh, I mean I, the animation style was kind of made me mad, but I, I don't know. It just felt so like raw and real still at that point, which I, I guess think, it still did at three and four because I mean it was killer. I want to say season two had Lurleen Lumpkin's first appearance. And separate vocations, which is where Bart and Lisa, like Bart wants to be a cop and Lisa is told to be a homemaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but it's still I remember, like, like really instilled in family values. Like how yeah. it started off with, with the Tracy Ullman show. It was still instilled in like that real rawness and like real storylines. And it wasn't quite as much of a satirical thing. I mean, it still was satirical, obviously. Like this was based off of, but it wasn't quite 
I don't know. They hadn't like completely formed it, so it was still like really good. I think the substitute one was in the second second yeah. season, I think, and that's probably why I think I put it even more. Just there was so much emotion in the in that in that one, and I mean, also in three and four. I don't know. You kind of got to lump them all together, I suppose. Yeah. I'm, no. I mean, they're pretty sentimental. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think the Lurley Lumpkin is Colonel Homer. I think. And okay. yeah, I just. I can't even tell. I I would say probably season four, five, six around there. Season six is just crazy. Those are great. You can always go back yeah. and watch those and like and not. Yeah, it is Bergstrom. It's funny. I was trying to find that because I just booked Eric Bergstrom. I don't know if you know that guy. Yeah, yeah. I was just talking yeah. about him with a, a buddy of mine last night. Nice. Yeah, he'll be coming July fourteenth to the Music Box. And that's funny that you brought up Bergstrom. That seems like such a strange name to have, and it's it's right here. <laughs> I, guess it's, I guess it's not that strange. I just never heard it before. Well, I don't know how many Bergstroms come to Mobile. Yeah, not a lot. Not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it was The Simpsons and then Living Color. And Living Color is amazing. Yeah, that, that Sunday night lineup, I will argue, is like the best comedy TV ever. Like that whole yeah. block, because Married to Children followed in Living Color. Yeah, and then for a little while, they had the George Carlin show. So. I don't know how well, you I've not beat watched the, Carlin, the George Carlin show yet. I, I don't remember much of it, but I, yeah. I was like eight or nine when it came out. So I just was one of those kids who had a TV in his room and very little adult supervision. Yeah, right. So it kind of worked out yeah. for me. We didn't have cable, so I had to just like get whatever came on. And we didn't have, I didn't have one in my room. So it would be very obvious whenever I was watching TV because wake him up in the middle of the night. But that's why, I mean, at that point, I, I think thankfully, uh, it was early 2000s, I guess, whenever I was really getting into it and thankfully king of the hill and uh and simpsons and and those types of shows had kind of gravitated over towards the local channels like the antenna channels already so like i could i could watch those on that my grandmother had uh had cable and i would god i would exploit the fuck out of that every time i went over to her house i would not get out in front of the tv she'd be like i'm going for a walk don't watch tv until you get your homework done and of course first thing i did was click on the tv and try and pretend like i wasn't I'd watch anything, dude. I was watching iCarly just like just for something different. Like, I just wanted, I just wanted something else. Shit ton of Rugrats, Curves the Cowardly Dog, and ooh, you know what? Actually, this one might have shaped my comedy a little bit for no other purpose than it's. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of great jokes in it, dude. Whose line is it, anyways? I watched so much. Whose line is it, anyways? I remember specifically one. Uh, we went to New Orleans and did a bunch of mushrooms, and I stayed up till nine o'clock in the morning watching whose line is it anyways because i hadn't watched it in so long it was so nostalgic i felt like it was amazing was it like a marathon or did somebody have the dvds no i found it torrented on uh, oh, okay okay <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 i found it on so I, actually it's uh whose line any whose line online.com has every episode including when they changed hosts and everything and that got awful after that but they went but did it, they go to like an english host am i thinking to, right uh, well no they they had an english version and they had an american version okay. and then they went to aisha Ty. Tyler or Taylor, who was uh, Tyler. Tyler, yeah, 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 yeah. She she hosted it on the CW for a little while, and uh, it was bad after that. It, it, it just got cheesy towards the end. I mean, what? it was already cheesy as hell, but it, it, I don't know. But I can't imagine anybody hosting that but Drew Carey. Yeah, no, right, because he was the worst. He was the absolute worst, like improviser out of all of them. But he was like such a good sport about it that it was like it was. Yeah, he definitely tried to do too many jokes, but like good on him for trying, I guess. I have a, a book on my right. It's 101 Big Dick Jokes by Drew Carey. <laughs> and it, it is such a fucking great book. And I think I've read it. I might have read it twice, but I annoyed the piss out of everybody. I'm, I was doing, uh, still am, I guess, but like I was doing a Zoom mic with a group of buddies from Pennsylvania. Yes. And we were all done. 
And I got bored and I went upstairs and grabbed this book and I said, Hey guys. And I would read like <laughs> sporadically these 10 or 20 big dick jokes and yeah. until they got tired of it. And then the next time I'm like, Hey guys. And I'd read a few more and they're like, you've read that one. And eventually <laughs> they were like, dude, no. <laughs> dude, I, I have something that's kind of similar. It's a, uh, something like, I haven't done this in years, but there's a, I can't remember what the website is, but I would just Google like a bunch of different words for poop. And there was one specific website where it had like 2,500 words for poop. And I would just like smack them out as fast as I could just in front until like people, people would definitely get angry at first and then laugh and then get angry again and laugh one more time. And that's when I quit (laughs) like and get that last laugh. It was like, my favorite one out of there was spear sphincters. That was a good one. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah. It was like 2000 of those kind of thing. Oh my God. I, it's like that. Uh, what was it? Uh, I forget what it is. I think like the Eskimos have like, what, like 50 words for snow, but like, yeah, yeah. Something. yeah. I forget what it, what it was. Mobile Alabama has 2,500 words for poop. <laughs> <laughs> What's it like doing comedy out there? I mean, or down there. I mean, is it, I mean, cause you were in DC and Philly. I like, does it compare yeah. to the, the other two? Um, no. Cause if you want to do that much, that many mics, you have to travel a lot. And you have to, uh, or you have to just like barge in on somebody's blues open mic and just be like, I'm doing comedy now. And, uh, well, we were having fun, but not now. Yeah. Right. And there's so many people that I think in the bigger cities, I mean, Mobile is like a sort of big city, like it's a metropolitan area, but it's not like anything huge. And there's so few people still, I've been doing comedy for so long and I still have people all the time talking about, Oh, I didn't know we even had comedy in Mobile. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Mobile is also like a huge drinking culture. And so more people care about the bartender that's working than the show that's going on, which is like stupidest shit in the world. And uh, like it, it even got to the point I was getting so upset. I came up with an idea to do a bartender comedy show. So like I got eight popular bartenders and three local comedians to do to do a show. And we did only like 50 seats. But the reason to do that was to make it so people could do standing room. And we sold 200 tickets in the first like two weeks. Holy for fuck. That. And I've had Todd Berry for a month and we've sold like 16 tickets. Like it, it, it's, it's so aggravating. Cause that's like, you, you see where the fucking, where people care about what people care about. And uh, I mean, I've been thinking about trying to get a brick and mortar comedy club going and I've got like a couple people that might be interested. The, there's two sides of the same coin on that. Either I can be like, look, there's an actual building you can look at and know that there's comedy in mobile. So that could help. Or on the other side, it just stays the same. And people are like, Oh, Todd Berry's coming. Eh. Like the fact that I sold sixty tickets to Sean Patton is like that's appalling to me. That should have that should have sold out. That dude is hilarious, and he's a native. Like he's from two hours away from right. us, and he's got friends in the air. He had friends come and show up, and it didn't. I mean, it might be a testament to my uh, maybe I'm not promoting the best way possible, but I think just Mobile's such a drinking culture. Like our bars don't close; they like they stay open all the time, and that's really what people more care about. The people that are going to come out are the ones that just care about drinking necessarily and don't necessarily. Is that a mobile thing or is that a South thing? Cause I, I, my only real interaction with the South is I've been in new Orleans a couple of times and obviously yeah. everything goes there. Mobile and new Orleans are the, uh, kind of the same on that. The rest of them, like everywhere else in the South, pretty much that I can think of their bars shut at two, shut down at two, but mobile and new Orleans, you can walk outside with your drinks. You can, you can find a bar to go to at seven o'clock in the morning for sure. Like it's a, uh, but a lot of the places like Lafayette, their last called at two, uh huntsville alabama up north they're, they're the smaller towns are shut down at two even tuscaloosa i went to alabama for a year university of alabama for one year and they're everything shut down at two there too 
It's not just a South thing. I mean, a drinking culture is definitely a Southern thing, I think. But of course, everybody drinks everywhere. Right, right. But it's definitely like, like kind of our our uh, our market is based off of drink sales, and that's kind of and that's how other venues besides the one that I'm working with now. It's kind of how they look at comedy. They're like, is it going to bring more people than bingo? And it's like, fuck you, dude. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad I'm with uh, Music Box because I mean he has experience with booking real real stuff and booking comedy. And so he's more open to letting comedy happen instead of just putting up another karaoke night. There's like fucking, there's one comedy open mic and there are probably 25 karaoke nights. Good God. Nobody needs <laughs> any more of those. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, the, the only time I do karaoke is in my car when nobody's watching. <laughs> Dude, actually, it's funny. Uh, whenever I first started doing comedy, I was so nervous all the time. I'd stare at my feet. Uh, I started doing karaoke just to start like not giving a shit about myself, just to kind of just be goofy. And now I've got like a few karaoke songs I'll do. Literally the first two years of doing comedy, I would throw up before every time I got on stage just because I was so, I had such bad stage fright. No shit. Yeah. Yeah. Probably helps yeah. maintain the weight. Yeah, right. I, I've gained weight since I've gotten confident on stage. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what brought on the Mobile Comedy Fest? Like, I mean, is that just a way to get the scene, like grow the scene and, and attract attention to it? Yeah, definitely. Definitely that. Me and my friend Toulouse, who's been doing comedy for 20 years he's hilarious he's great and we had both had the idea separately to do a comedy festival in mobile and then we talked about it and uh there is more of a an urban scene and a white scene for like a better words alternative whatever you want to call it and it's kind of still polarized and me and Toulouse just kind of were thinking it was like how can we get both of our scenes to give a shit about each other and this was kind of our way to do that it's like have one representative from each scene <laughs> to yeah. kind of come together and, and try and build like a place that everybody knows it's just it's comedy it's not like your shows and my versus my shows it's comedy and we want to put more eyes on it and because there's another show i didn't even say that there's another show Compton does one and my friend joe page does one a week as well and it's just uh their mic their comedians barely ever come and do our mics and we never do their mics so like it's kind of it's weird i mean there's and there, the funny thing is there's white people in that scene there's black people in our scene so it's like not about that it's just kind of like the stigma or the entertainment around it i guess like they do they do a lot like there's a guy uh jay black who runs a bunch he's a white guy who runs a bunch of uh like roast battles and that's more of a thing for for their scene and less of our scene so it was most it mostly kind of came together just to like literally just have a pinnacle to to be like everybody do everybody's shows help everybody do do all the comedy and i mean it hasn't really helped <laughs> i'm like the only one that does the other rooms yeah uh, dude like I really commend you for doing that and I hope you do it. I, I'm kind of in the same, a similar position because like I started booking shows and when I came in here five years ago, the scene was like fragmented a little bit. Like, yeah. Oh, there are four groups here and none of them work together. It's a competition and yeah. they don't go to their other shows. They don't get booked on the other shows. And I was like, well, fuck that. Like, that's so stupid because yeah. you're splitting it's your not resources. Big yet in the town to, yeah. yeah to I mean, like, like uh, okay, we don't have enough comedians to say, okay, well, you can only work. I can't work with that person. You can't work. The, fuck it. My goal was to, and that's kind of how I book. It's like, I want to book everybody together, which is a great idea. And I yeah. think I'm successful in doing that. What I'm not successful at, and I, what I don't think I ever will be, is unifying the scene because the divisions are there. Yeah. And like, it's it's a good effort. I would just Mobile, be prepared to. Mobile's not. pretty good compared to other scenes to not have beefs. Like there's a lot of in other places that I do. There's a lot of beefs around around me, and uh, even like one of my friends has beefs with people out of town that I have to like kind of tiptoe around 
because like I don't want to piss him off. Yeah. Because it's like he don't want me to, he doesn't like me working with some people out of town because they've wronged him. And I mean I understand that. But it's just weird that like in Mobile we're all kind of friends, we're all kind of a tight knit group. But it kind of took a while for it to to go to that. Like people would get mad when they first started coming out to the blind mule and that was the place because they would say, uh, oh, only Ryan, who was the one running it, only his friends, only his close like circle of friends are the ones that he books. And he had to come back to them and be like, no, they're my close circle of friends because they come to every comedy show and they support everything. And it's like you only come out whenever you're on something. So that's why. And then that kind of like that kind of base off point, jump off point of that being. And I've kind of tried to keep that kind of the same way has kind of made it more of. We all kind of got each other's backs. The guys who are actually in it all kind of have each other's backs in a good way because we, we're friends. We're there all the time. We're supporting each other. We're doing – we're, yeah, paying attention. So One of my favorite parts about doing this podcast and talking to people all over the country is that that is a problem everybody has. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, we have that similarity because I go through the same thing where people will complain about not getting booked. I'm like, yeah, because I thought you quit. Yeah, right. Like, and it's like you in six months. <laughs> right. And if I don't see somebody in like two or three months, I assume they just stopped doing comedy. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to reward you for, I mean, I try not to, sometimes it's unavoidable. Like if you, yeah. uh, if you need a woman on the show, if, if you need somebody who's dirty, if you coming out of the pandemic, it's tough for me because as a booker, it's like, shit, oh. like you might not be rehearsed, but I fucking need somebody else. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm in the same boat. I mean, I've got my close, like four or five friends that are great uh, that I can still like book through. And I've been kind of reaching out to other towns and we're lucky because we're close to like Biloxi has a good scene. Pensacola has a good scene. And those are both within an hour of us. And then New Orleans is two hours away. So like we're lucky in how close we do have things at least that are uh, that I can pull from. And we're we're close enough as people too, even though they have their beefs. And I have to I mean, I kind of have to close a blind eye to it sometimes. But other times, I mean, I'll try my best to not screw somebody over if that's the thing. But here it doesn't matter. It's our melting pot, I guess. <laughs> well, how did the first festival go? It went great. It was all based off of a competition thing. So it was, uh, I think there was 30 comedians or something like that. And we had like guest judges who were either comedians who have like good credits or uh, like local TV or radio personalities or something that hosted it. And then, or judged it, I mean, and one of us, Mir Toulouse, would host. And uh, we sold out all three of those, the two preliminaries and the finals. And we had a... Founders Night, which was just me and my friend Toulouse in Compton, who helps out on a show that sold out. And then we did, uh, shoot, I'm trying to think of what else we did. We've added a lot this year, more pop up. I think we did a couple pop up shows, just like people coming through that we added to, like as a part of the festival. This is the first year that actually, like, a ticket will get you into all the events. The only one it won't, Todd Berry's during the festival, but that, that's a separate ticket because, I mean, we haven't gotten Todd to that Barry, point yeah. where the, yeah, we haven't gotten to the point where the festival can pay for the, so that's a uh, music box promoting that one. So that's not in it but yeah we've got like stone versus drunk versus sober which is what my friend jp leonard runs and then we've got another i'm doing another bartender comedy show damn it people are mad but screw it so it puts butts in seats yeah if you're gonna get 200 people out there well, yeah fuck right it. exactly yeah there's one guy one of my friends is real upset about it and because he's like yeah it's gonna make people not take us seriously because it's these people and i mean uh, just kind of have to be at the point where i mean it might be cheesy it might not be like as as authentic as you think it should be but the fact of the matter is it's going to get people to buy tickets to the festival and it's going to get people have eyes on my friends that are going to be on the show, him included. He's on the show. So he'll have 200 people to do comedy in front of, and that's great. So I just kind of have to not pay attention to that. He's upset. Cause I have like one of the bartenders that was on the first bartender comedy show. I've got opening for Jenny's, Jenny's a and it's only your second time doing comedy, but I have to kind of play the, 
I've got, I mean, I've got a guarantee I've got a hit and I got to play it to what people want. And she's funny. Like she did good her first time. I mean, she, she doesn't, she hadn't put the work into, to, to really be the one that should be on that spot, but she's funny. She doesn't, she didn't say anything divisive. I think she, and, and then she's also going to promote things and like people are going to come out and see her. So I have to, the only question I have is, uh, do the people have fun when they go there? Right. You know? and yeah. That's do they it. Come I mean, back next time? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think if you play it up to where, okay, well, we sold 16 tickets for Todd Barry. How are we going to yeah. pay him? So yeah, obviously right. you're going to sell more, but it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, sure. as, as a safeguard, this will get us Todd Barry plus, I don't know, money for next year or whatever. Yeah, like, right. Exactly. I think there's a million ways to justify while doing it. But I think the main reason is people come out and they have fun and you're reaping the residual benefits of, Hey, I can perform in front of 200 people. Right. Yeah. I need to get it across to him. I don't know really how to get it across to him, but. I mean, he's he's only been in comedy for about four years now, and he's been running shows for like two. And he does great at the business side of it, and he's he's funny. He just he does get uh he's got a plan, and if it kind of gets outside of that, then he kind of pushes back a little bit. And uh, I mean, he's great. He's one of my friends, one of my best friends. So that's really, I mean, that's really the only thing that we don't see eye to eye on is that. And I just have to figure out a way to get that across to him. I guess you might never do it, but I think yeah. the main main thing is like you can't go out of your pocket for Todd Berry and everybody right. over yeah. and over and over again. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I think he's starting, I think he understands a bit. He understands. I think he doesn't like it, but he understands as a purist. I don't like it either. Yeah. It's like as a producer, it's like, well, I don't, fuck. I don't like it either, but I'm still going to do it. Like I'm not going <laughs> to. Yeah. And they're all right. buying tickets, right? Right. Yeah. Pre-sales too. So yeah. like, I don't have to worry until the day of. <laughs> now, how do you format that bartender show? Do you have like a bartender and then, you know, an established comedian and then a bartender. And then the first one only did three comedians and my friend, Ryan Adams, who's hilarious. He hosts it. So he's in between everybody and he's good at, he's good about, uh, I mean, being able to save a crowd. And then I'll kind of, uh, I mean, hope it's all just a lottery. Cause I don't know how everybody's going to be on stage. I just kind of put it who I think, cause like some of them are musicians and some of them aren't. And some of them are more like laid back. Some of them are more nervous than the other ones. And I kind of try and, uh, keep that in mind when I do it and put like a musician who's definitely going to have like a lot of stage presence up and then maybe somebody that's not as excited about doing it and then a comedian so it kind of like i mean it's it's all a shot in the dark but i only do three comedians and i because i mean i don't know why it's because it's a bartender comedy show i guess but <laughs> and also i mean they're all doing five minutes and i do that comedians do like seven or eight and i just don't i mean shows over an, an hour and a half especially with people that don't know anything about comedy they're coming out to see their friends do comedy like their drunk friends do comedy on, on uh on stage don't necessarily uh have the patience probably for comedy. So I'm just kind of like letting it sh- shit out all their friends as fast as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just was asked to do a show for three hours and he goes, he goes, uh, Dude, that's gonna, yeah. <laughs> he goes, can you fill three hours? I said, yeah, but you don't want that. Yeah. You don't want that. And he goes, he goes, well, I was thinking maybe like seven or eight. I go, no, you don't want that. And he's like, why? I said, well, because we did it one time. And after about an hour and a half, hour 45, people check out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they are done. And you Either, can have a band because you're not, you shouldn't be talking during the comedian set. Yeah. And most people are pretty good about that, but there's only a finite amount of time where they don't want to talk. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And it, it, you have to be beating them. You have to be beating their, their brain to be like, no, this is more important than what your brain has to say right now. Like you have yeah. to continue to beat them. And over an hour, 45 minutes, either, either uh, ADD comes into play just, I mean, just anybody's regular attention span is about that. Like, that's a regular movie. And then uh, people are drunk at that point, too. So people start talking to each other or they start yelling at the comedians just because they're trash. And they think, like, I still have so many people ask me, like, 
So like to have a good comedy show, you need a heckler, right? Like, oh, no, dude. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> it was actually the door guy at uh, Music Box that was whenever Sean Patton was on stage. He was like, you, you kind of need I was like, no, dude. Like sometimes some people do thrive over that, but more often than not, it's just going to screw up, derail everything. Or, I mean, it won't derail everything, but it definitely is not helped. I imagine that you would get thrown only because you're a one-liner type guy. Yeah. And it's like, because I did one-liners for a long time. And you remember like the cadence. And if you're yeah. thrown a little bit like, fuck, where was my last joke? That was my transition to the next joke. Yeah. Where am I? And also like a lot of my jokes are super based off and, and the and the transition are super based off of rhythm for me. So like if it's like, if I'm like right, my I start to get upset whenever people, this happens during the Sean Patton show. I've gotten to the point where I just like tell people like, dude, you fucked it up. And then I just, <laughs> and then I just go back to jokes. And just do those same ones over again and be like, bet you never heard that again before. And then like finish it and do it in the right, uh, do it in the right thing. But like it, the worst one, it always happens. It's like, I have the setup, the setup and then about to do the punchline, literally breathing in. And somebody just says something that they think will might be the punchline. And it, it's just like, dude, look, if you could think of it that easily, I wouldn't have wrote that joke. <laughs> like, don't, <laughs> don't do that to me. It's literally like, I'm about, it's like, boom, boom. I had some lady sing uh, about to set for I was open for Chris Kattan and I was about to do a punchline and she just started singing La Cucaracha out of nowhere and it had nothing <laughs> to do with the joke and I was like literally why is it right whenever I do the punchline is it because it might be because like people can feel the rhythm and feel like that's whenever something's about to be funny and they're just like ooh me now like, I'm like, God, yeah that shit does piss me off but I do I do it now just I mean I'm usually pretty good about uh if somebody talks to me, I can talk back at them and shut them down. Like not, not, not in a mean way, but I can out joke them pretty well. Like I'm good at like on the spot puns and, and, and just short thoughts, funny thoughts, just short. And like, I had a guy, uh, kept talking during my whole, whole night. And he goes, uh, he was like talking, he was so drunk. He was talking about like my mom died a couple months ago, like all this shit during while I was telling jokes. And eventually I had to be like, dude, what's your name? He was like, Emmanuel. I was like, is there an Emmanuel on how to shut you the fuck up? <laughs> and it was like, just popped in my brain so quick. And literally like the crowd lost it. And everybody just like got so mad at that dude that it just like the rest of the show went perfectly. It was great. And I'm, I have pretty good thoughts uh, or good. I mean, not thoughts. What, what a douchey thing to say. Yeah, <laughs> no, but thoughts. that's great. That's perfect. I have pretty good thoughts. No, wait, no, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can, I can usually think of something pretty quickly. Like, uh, yeah, I won't give you another example. I have a bunch of those examples, but yeah, it's, I don't remember why I started talking about that. I ask everybody this, but do you remember the worst set you've ever had? Worst set I've ever had? Yeah. Oh God. I've had so many of them that I feel so bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, and not, not necessarily even like bombs, but like just ones that I'm like, oh, I could have done way better. And then like, or I'll forget a joke and it fucking fucks up my night Yep. for my week. Cause I'm like, God damn it. I forget I could have done that. Um, I definitely have. Oh, God. Okay, so I was doing one of uh, Joe Page's rooms. This place called Era. And I, I sometimes kill there, but they, they do, like, if you if they think you're not killing, they'll cut the music on you. And uh, I and they do it. They, they try and do it to everybody because they like – it's the funniest part of their open mic to them is cutting the music on people and being a douche. So I was – I have been killing. They let you just go until you just, like, stop killing, and then they get you off stage. And, like, usually everybody lasts about five minutes. I was, like, on minute 18, and I was murdering. And I had just a lady – get up in the middle of my set and like both hands on her knees and just start screaming full throttle at me. Like just like screaming. And then they cut the music on. And I was so mad. I was like, dude, I've gotten so far. How would you, 
But I've definitely bombed in that room so many times. That one might be the worst, like the most terrifying thing because I can still see her eyes. And she had like those sharp, like vampire teeth, like the gold vampire teeth yeah. right here. And she just like, just stayed, like, staring and screaming. But I definitely bombed there. I Because I would do era a lot whenever I was new into it. And I would do my same jokes. And then it got to the point where people would start just doing my jokes with me. It's like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> it's like, I think Hedberg so- went through that. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, uh, he's like, the worst part was that everybody knew the jokes and they would recite them. Yeah. I have a joke. Uh, literally everywhere I do it, even I've done it out of town and people do it with me. It's, uh, I, cause I always end it cause it's one of my favorites. It's like, uh, I'm a smoker. I bought Camel Blues today and they went like this. And I start like, my humps, my humps. And like start singing a song about uh, <laughs> Camel having the blues. And literally people sing every lyric with me. And it's like, dude, and like sometimes if I can tell the whole crowd is doing it, I'll fuck with them and just like change the rhythm on it. And make them look dumb or just stop immediately and make them all like feel self conscious about it now because they're all doing these high like ee- screeches. And I'm like, nope, not anymore. <laughs> but yeah, no, that does that does get aggravating. I need to yeah. I try and mix it up a little bit more. But I used to back in the day I used to write once a week and ever since I've gotten married and had a kid, I write way less now. So it's kinda harder for me to but I've got like an hour and a half worth of material that I can like go back to. Mostly one liners? Mostly one liners, yeah. I have oh, a, I have a couple of stories. I only have like six stories. But they're chock full of one-liners in the middle of the stories. And the, I wrote those back when I used to actually, like, for real pay attention and, like, spend a whole, like, eight hours on a joke. And, I, yeah, I don't do that anymore. I need to. I need to get back to it. But well, just got other people to think about now. That makes it hard. Uh, that, that sucks. That's, that's a, yeah. Maybe, I mean, uh, I'll, get back. I'll definitely get back to it. Oh, I meant, like, like maybe get rid of the family. Like, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> those leeches. <laughs> those leeches. Yeah, right. <laughs> when I was doing one-liners... Man, I'm so glad because it was probably like a year and a half where maybe two years where I was really trying to do one liners. And every once in a while, I throw a story or whatever. But yeah. I needed to do the one liners because I didn't know how to write a punchline. And yeah. So I'm I'm doing these stories early that were, ba- you know, I was a big Brigley fan. I tried to sell them on inflection and yeah. like, oh, if I explain to you enough about this person or the situation, you'll see it in your mind. Yeah. What yeah. the funny part was. No, they're not. They don't give two shits about me and no, yeah, any absolutely. of my friends. So I was like, okay, well, I wrote one-liners. Now what I do is I'll come up with a one-liner that I really like, and yeah. if it does well, then I'm like, okay, let me build around this, and maybe that's my premise. And then I'll go and one-liner, 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 and like if I get enough together, then it's just a story. Yeah, and I'm like, oh no, that's I just how, add the words around, and it's a story now. That's how my six stories did turn out to be. Like I, I wrote a one-liner first, and then I thought maybe of like a part of my life I could ba- base a bunch of one-liners around and then uh yeah finished like would finish it up like that but like that's just how my brain thinks is in one-liners so if I did go back to like actually because now I just like just try and write as many as I can in a row and then see and see what comes out of it and I need to go back I need to go back to that mindset of actually like finishing a whole because those are my my favorite jokes are the ones that I like I put a lot of thought into and there's a bunch of killer one-liners into a long thing because I love seeing the build and I, I can still kind of see the build with just doing separate one-liners, like like Carol Burnett or something like that, like where it's like a, a bunch of back-to-back and they keep getting bigger and bigger, you keep get, getting bigger and bigger laughs. And that still works for like separate one-liners, but it is it feels more craftful and more masterful if it's all in one one story or one storyline. Yeah, I know. Like Emo Phillips has a big one where it's like, yeah. like the few stories got, it's like joke after joke after joke after joke. Yeah, yeah. I love Emo Phillips. My friend got to open up for him a couple of years ago. I was so jealous. I wouldn't say one liner is a weird a, a niche of a genre, like the genre of jokes. But like, who did you watch to like kind of inspire and, and shape that? 
like I said, it came from my dad, honestly, because I started doing one-liners and doing comedy before I even knew who Mitch Hedberg was. And then somebody uh, compared me to Mitch Hedberg. I was like, who is this guy? And then I got obsessed with Mitch Hedberg. Yeah. Like, I think I think that might be one of the reasons that my styles changed to uh, to more just separate one-liners instead of the, like, actually writing out full things. It was because of him. And, like, dude, I've watched everything he's done. I, I cried when I found him. I didn't know he was dead when I first started listening to him. And I oh, cried. really? Yeah. Because I didn't start doing comedy until, what, 2009, 2008? No, that's wrong. 2012, started doing comedy. And he died in 2005. Yeah. And I didn't find out he died until like a year later. And I was very upset about it. I'm pretty sure I was in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. I was working for a newspaper there. And I remember, I think my buddy, big Hedbert fan, probably bigger than I am, he sent me the news story. Yeah. And I remember on Instant Messenger, AOL Instant Messenger on AIM. Yeah. I open it. I'm like, oh, and I could just see now the apartment behind me. Sounds exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So he didn't make me start doing one-liners. That's literally just because my dad, and that's what I knew. And like somebody thought, somebody had told me uh, when I was, uh, what, 18, he was like, he was going to try comedy for his first time. He's like, dude, you should try comedy. You're really funny. You should do this. And I was like, okay, word. I tried. And the only thing I could think of was one-liners. Like, that's the only thing. That's what, that's what jokes are. That's what comedy is to me. And I didn't even really know that much about stand-up comedy until this dude was like, you need to try it. I knew about Dave Chappelle. Love Dave Chappelle. He was my favorite. Like I knew about him. I knew about. Uh, I mean, I knew about the greats, but I never got like really, really. I never thought about it as a, a job path before until this guy was like, or like a career path. Until this guy was like, you should try it. And then I got super into it and started watching all kinds of comedy. It's too much at one point <laughs> where it was like, like the only thing that went around in my brain. So yeah, but yeah, my yeah, I would say that one letters came from my dad and not. Not anybody specific. I meant to ask this a while ago because you brought up Breaking Bad. And the reason I like Breaking Bad so much is because there's a an element of humor involved. It is. It, yeah. And like I'll watch the Marvel movies and anything as long as you promise me that I yeah. will laugh along the way. Right. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, I agree with that. Like somebody will be like, I've had a couple people will be like, you need to watch this movie. I'm like, is it funny? Like, no, I mean, it's like a horror movie. Like, is it funny, though? Is there any funny? Actually, no, not horror. I do not watch horror movies. I'm not a fan either. Like I'll watch yeah. them if somebody next to me wants to. I guess I'll I like, go along like with psychological it. thrillers, but I don't like jump scares or or I don't know. I don't like super gory stuff. I guess, but I do like no. psychological thrillers that kind of fuck with your brain, make you think extra. But yeah, I remember watching Hostel on my birthday. I I went to a buddy's place. We we're gonna go to the bar, and I don't know if you've ever seen Hostel. I haven't. I guess it's an all right movie. I watched like maybe the last I don't know maybe forty five minutes and. Yeah. What it is is like the you go overseas and I forget where which country it's like I think it's like a Scandinavian country and yeah. uh, they basically kidnap people of all ethnicities and they sell them on the black market and you can torture them you can do whatever you want to them Jesus Christ dude yeah it was like like I remember seeing a woman get a blowtorch to her eye and Jesus like why see why why does it, I don't understand I don't my know. brain already has enough issues going on I don't need to add extra shit to it no and and the fucked up part was like uh I went in there and I'm like I didn't want to watch this so he's like all right all right let's go to the bar and we came back and we watched grandma's boy and I'm like where the <laughs> fuck was this the entire time <laughs> come on dude what the hell that's a great film dude grandma's boy great <laughs> and that is a and that is a film yeah <laughs> it is cinematic experience <laughs> Your bed is a car. Yeah, but it's a sweet car. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. When I was a kid, it was all Sandler for me. And oh yeah. Yeah, I I really thought I don't think I I don't think 
I could have been raised in any better <laughs> generation of comedy. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah. I, 93, 94, 95, old. I had Jim Carrey and Adam Sandler. Yeah. Just cranking out great movies. And yeah, that shaped me. I mean, and Living Color uh, just kicks yeah. out in Simpsons. Jim I mean, Carrey it was just, for me, I guess, would yeah. be one of the first like comedians I knew about that was actually like a comedian. Like I, like I said, I didn't even think about it as a career path. I thought that was just kind of like a other thing that these actors were doing, like just kind of to keep their like to stay busy at that point when I was a kid. Because we never really talked about it like with my parents. They never because they were big musicians. So I started playing music, and that's like a, that's like a, that was a job when I was like ten or eleven. That was a job. But like comedy was such outside of the realm of even possibilities. That was so weird. But I think that Jim Carrey was the one that I saw first as like doing stand up and uh, or, like as a comedian. And I think that probably just stemmed from my dad's love from the mask. He loved the mask. We watched the mask so many damn times. So good. It's so good. It really is. It holds up. Yeah. And I don't think you can ever beat Cameron Diaz in the mask. No, absolutely. No, that is a one woman. <laughs> what do you play? Uh, drummer, guitar? I'm a drummer. And, uh, so we played in a funk band, funk like psychedelic funk punk band, uh, all That's through high awesome. school. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we kind of started getting back together. But we've been playing together for so long. We we would keep getting booked for shows, and we would just jam, and people enjoyed it. So, and then during the shutdown, uh, I was supposed to like was getting to a point where the creative things weren't like be, weren't conducive for me at that point. I was like thinking about quitting comedy I was, and thinking about even not doing music anymore. Then we kind of started a project. I have GarageBand on my iPad and. Uh, I've been making beats and me and my friend Carson that does comedy with me. We've been freestyling since we started a band together when we were like 13. So we kind of started a hip hop. Like it's goofy. People keep saying, I'm like, dude, it's funny. Right. And they're like, dude, more than it's funny. It's good. It's like this whole brand new thing for me. Like we're, we're rappers now. And it's like, <laughs> and I, I'm making beats and we can, and it's still like a great outlet. We make, we put out one music video a month. If you think about it, look up Shropshire Collective. That's our thing that we're doing right now. Yeah, putting out one music video a month, which is a lot of fun, making music videos and uh, still going to be musical. Like I make the beats and I have an interface so they can plug their bass and guitars into and stuff so we can make like live beats out of it. So it's yeah, it's been a fun. So now I'm a drummer and a producer, I guess is what we'll say. And a rapper. Yeah, well, you know, you, you, you hear a white kid from Mobile, Alabama. And of course, you think rap. <laughs> of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so what did your parents play? My dad played guitar. My mom didn't play shit, but she was so, and my dad never really was into it that much, but my mom was such a big music fan. She like followed the Grateful Dead around, or the Rolling Stones around for a while, followed the Grateful Dead around for a little bit. Like she was just like such a fan of music that she didn't really play it, but she would just have like good music all the time. Like Django Reinhardt. I grew up listening to Django Reinhardt, like gypsy jazz musician. I can't say that anymore. Uh, <laughs> jazz musician. And he, he like, if, if you don't know about Django Reinhardt, he was like a straight up, what do you call those? What do you call what? What is that? If it's not all right, I don't know. But he uh he like fused his fingers together in a fire, and he was like just a really fast like jazz guy that played on acoustic thing, and they traveled around. And uh, he's like in the fifties. I grew up with all kinds of that kind of stuff, like and, and blues, like Taj Mahal, fucking BB King. So I grew up like listening to the really good music back in back then. So I just kind of was along the realm of uh, like that was actually a thing. I didn't grow up around as much comedy. Like they were so against like TV and stuff. That's probably why I'm so obsessed with it now. But yeah, uh, it's their fault. Yeah, right. Absolutely. They don't let me eat sugary cereal. I got Captain Crunch in the damn <laughs> cabinet right now. Well, both my parents are musicians, but they're like classical musicians. My dad oh, nice. is a trumpet player and my mom plays clarinet. And they're heavily involved in the music scene up in Binghamton, New York. So their plan was for me to go into music teaching, which <laughs> to their defense offers a whole lot more security. Yeah. But I just like, no, I I went to college and I became a journalist 
in a time where newspapers are going away. And I'm like, wow, yeah, that, right, was, yeah. that was not good thinking uh, yeah. on my part. But when I told my dad I wanted to be a comedian, he just said, how are you going to make money? That's a, that's a good question. Fair <laughs> point. Like I had no, yeah, right. no retorts. I'm like, okay, you got it. Were your parents cool with you going to comedy too? Yeah. I mean, they, they've always tried to be real supportive. They definitely had an idea for me that was not this necessarily. I think they thought I was going to have my life a lot more together, but they're definitely supportive. Like when I started playing music, they would come to my shows all the time. And, uh, and like I said, we we're playing psychedelic punk funk and they wouldn't say anything about how like ridiculous that was. And like how obvious it was that we were smoking weed the whole time <laughs> <laughs> with that genre. You have to. Yeah. Right. <laughs> The neighbor actually is like, hey, I heard your kids playing music up there because we practice in our attic. He's like, you know, they're probably smoking weed, right? <laughs> they're like, no, not them. <laughs> and then they started drug testing us. It's like, oh, damn it. <laughs> Figured it out. <laughs> your uh, mom followed the dead. Yeah, I know, right? There was like a change. There was a change when I was about eight. My mom changed a bunch. She, okay. she stopped following the dead and started following the Lord. So oh, you know. <laughs> that's less, less fun. Yeah, le- much less fun. I mean, it's still as important, I guess. In your brain. I guess. <laughs> but they were they were eventually okay with it. Yeah, yeah, no, they were supportive. They always try. They've always tried to be real supportive, if, even if it's obvious they're not happy about something. They'll they'll still. My dad loved loved my band. Like anytime he would come, he's like, "Dude, you guys are good." Like this was this was amazing. And my mom would be like, "Yeah, I was there." And like, <laughs> <laughs> my dad was always like real pumped about it. He's like, "This is gonna." This might happen, dude. Like even like because I was in high school, I was like, "This is definitely gonna happen." My dad was like, "Dude, that might." I was like, "Cool." You guys need a manager. <laughs> he didn't get to that point, but he's a financial planner, so hopefully, if I do take off, he's still around. So, what's the plan? I mean, uh, obviously, you've got things happening for you with uh, Todd Perry. When is, when's the festival? Uh, so it's August eighth through the fourteenth, maybe fifteenth, okay. depending on if we add one more sh- one more show. So you've got the festival going. Uh, you've got your your burgeoning rap career (laughs) and the band i mean like what i mean in a perfect world are you doing all three in a perfect world i'm throwing everything as i possibly can to the wall at the wall as well as i can and hopefully one of them picks up and then does well enough that i can do other stuff and not be so overwhelmingly like it's my whole life that i can still have time to do the other stuff but enough to where i don't have to work in the service industry anymore at least so i can uh and then and kind of fund my dreams and have more connections and hookups i guess so i'm not really going after one i'm just like seeing because i love them all the same i love definitely comedy gives me way more anxiety than music does but uh i love that it's a challenge and it's the greatest challenge i've ever had so i definitely want to continue doing that i want to continue doing everything so just see what happens i guess it's amazing i i was in college and i was on the fence between whether to go to journalism or broadcasting and i was like you know i don't really need to make my decision now yeah and you know, I went into newspapers, and then the podcast is my, kind of my way into broadcasting and doing all the yeah. sound work and everything. So it's like you pick up those skills and shit, man, whatever works. I mean, I'm making my yeah. now producing shows and it's like, yeah, same. obviously doing, you know, hosting work and comedy too, but yeah. it's like, yeah, well, everything that led you to this point, it's not yeah. a waste. Like, yeah. So, I dropped out of college. It. I had a, I had a almost full ride scholarship. I did real well in high school. I had most of my college. I had actually my college completely paid for and I dropped out to be a comedian <laughs> and like and, a, and play music. And well, I didn't know for the rap part yet, but for that too, I guess. You know what? If I'm your parents, I'm still pretty pissed at you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. I think, uh, cause I had, so I had a great scholarship and then my grandmother, before she passed, she started a pack program for me to where like, it would be like, she did like stocks into comedy stuff or into college and uh, they expire next year. <laughs> 
So like if I don't do four years worth or three years worth of college, uh, college in, so I'm technically a sophomore now because I, I finished the first one. Uh, I didn't do real well because I didn't care. Like I was outside of like, I was like, oh, I can do all these other things you mean? Like right. what? I don't have to have nightmares about tests every single night. So I was like, oh, I'll probably go back. And then like now I definitely don't. I still have sometimes nightmares about school. And like, dude, like it, it just was not for me. And uh, I definitely, my dad at least has enough faith in me that like I'll be fine. Because I'm, I'm saving money and maybe start a business, start a comic club, whatever I can. And uh, so that's my back. My backup plan is to be a business owner. Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah, why not? That's not bad. Yeah, I mean, hey. <laughs> At least then you know there's a little bit of security. Yeah, You're always right. going to have a gig. I'm going to be just as fucking anxious. <laughs> <laughs> but at least you'll be making all the rules. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't have to be there. I'm making it if I don't have to set my alarm ever. Oh, I'm making it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how I am, too. And like that's why the best part of working like a second shift job is you don't need an alarm. Yeah, it's like, yeah, definitely. Like, the best part of being a comedian is I can get up when I want. That's yeah. fine. As long as I make it to the venue, like. 30, 45, an hour before the show. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah. But, dude, this is a blast. Uh, thank you so yeah, much for doing this. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, how can people follow along with you on social media? How can they follow along with whatever you're doing? Um, so, Mobile Comedy Festival on Facebook only right now. Shropshire Collective on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Zeke Buckholtz. I mean, I guess if you want to look that up. I don't know. That's not. I mean, Mobile Comedy Festival is the best one for comedy. And Shropshire Collective is the best one for music. There's got to be only one Zeke Buckholz. I'm pretty sure there is, but I I don't want a bunch of people sending me random friend requests, though. <laughs> <laughs> You're a comedian. You get them anyway. I do. Yeah, no, but at least I can look on the thing and be like, oh, they're holding a microphone. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. I always look. I'm like, okay, well, how many pictures do you have? Oh, it's only pictures of you, and it's three of them. <laughs> yeah, awesome. <right>. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, again, man, uh, this is a lot of fun, and I'll talk to you in a bit. All right, dude, sounds good. back my sunburnt skin. wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in.